At this time, let's turn our attention to God's word. These, these words that we are about to read for the second time are precious. They are mysterious and they are wondrous. And we can only plumb their depths so far before they become too wondrous for us to fathom. And it is an awesome thing, is it not, that we will have eternity to inquire, to marvel. I, I think it will be fabulous if, if the Lord is pleased to share with us the details he doesn't share here. That'll be wondrous. But we will have eternity, brothers and sisters, to contemplate the mysteries that we are about to read. So join with me, please, as we read the story of the beginnings of this world and the entire universe. We read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants producing, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And the Lord saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. 
And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the ground. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your power on display, your majesty, your intentionality, and your care. It's, it's awesome. Lord, help us to believe. Help us to be inspired. Help us to walk in obedience. Help us to understand. We ask, Lord, that you would guard our hearts and guard our minds. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The question of the age is, who am I? People are asking that in droves. They're asking, what am I? Where do I come from? What's my story? People, even in an individualistic, autonomous, autonomy-loving age, are part of a fabric of a community that is bigger than themselves. We cannot escape it. And so we want to know the backstory of our people, so to speak. And every people has a story. Every group, dare I say, has a myth. Every group of people has a story that allegedly explains how they came to be, what makes them unique, that unites them as a people. It is fascinating to learn that, uh, for example, the in the early 1920s, the, the Nazi party rallied around this notion of German nationalism that really had been invented like 40 years before under Bismarck. And the Grimm brothers, 
with their stories that they collected from all over Germany were instrumental in creating this myth of a Germanic people instead of the very independent city-states that Germany was up to that time. Every people has a myth. And so when we ask, who am I? We oftentimes listen to the myth of our age, the myth of the dominant culture in which we find ourselves. And so the myth of this age is that something came from nothing. The myth of this age is that there is no order, there is no purpose, there is no grand meaning, there is no grand direction of history, there is only sheer random chance. And the meaning that you can personally create for yourself is therefore the only meaning that is. And so, if you feel it, it's true. If you think it, it is. The reality of the external world has been subordinated to the superiority of the internal world. In this culture's myth, that is the truth. Or should we say it's truthiness. We have a myth into which we are born, into which we live our lives. And God is just as interested in shattering the myth of our culture, of our age, as he was in shattering the myths of the ancient Near East into which his people had just been born. Our God is the God of truth. And he wants to set us free, not only from the bondage of Pharaoh, who is the biblical personification of the worldly powers that be that subjugate us. He wants to set us truth from the lies that we have believed that keep us in shackles. Almighty God wants you as a precious son or daughter of his to have a right bearing of yourself, a right bearing of the world around you that you might with your head on straight make your way giving adequate and proper praise properly identifying the problems and the solutions because truth matters and God has given us his word revealing it so this culture with its myth, tells us that your internal thoughts, your subjective feelings and beliefs are the real meaning and that externally there is only chance and chaos. Mayhem and anarchy pervade unless the will to power is exerted over it. But I'm here to tell you that if there's one assertion about God that we see in these opening verses of the Bible, 
that you can forget about chance and randomness and anarchy. Almighty God is Lord over chaos. He's Lord over disorder. He's Lord over the waste. He's Lord over random nothingness. He is the God who creates out of that which is not. It is an awesome, awesome thing. I love that this chapter, this opening verse, comes right out of the gate, not massaging, uh, not massaging away our, our, our false notions of who he is and of origins. I love that it comes straight out of the he comes straight out of the corner with a throat punch. Atheism, materialism, polytheism, every ism there is, doesn't, it gets blasted in the first verse. At the very beginning of the word of God, these opening verses, which are the, pra- the prologue to the book, the opening verse, verse 1, comes out of the corner with no prefatory matter at all. We're not told what the Lord was doing before this day. We're not told when did he make the angels. We're not told any of that. It gets right to business, and we are presented with God and God alone, who is the subject of creation. Before the world was, he is There was no pre-existing matter. There was no pre-existing deity. There was no pre-existing conflict or war amongst the gods. There was only God delighting in the perfections of the Trinity. And out of the overflow of his might, power, glory, and goodness, he has willed to create all that he is. The Lord of the covenant that we have in Christ is the very Lord of creation. So he is Lord wherever man may go. I just read in the news that Mars has landed, or or that China has landed a probe on Mars. Elon Musk wants to send people there. You know what? God's already there. And if man goes to Mars, God's already there. And God is Lord there. If if science fiction comes true and we learn how to put people in deep sleep and send them to places hundreds of years away, God is Lord there. You see, we are introduced right off the bat with a merism. A merism, M-E-R. ISM, is it two R's or whatever, look it up. It's a, it's a rhetorical device that we use even in which two polar opposites are mentioned in a list with the implication that everything in between is included. So we say it, for example, when we speak of, when we speak of A to Z. We don't just mean the two ex- extremes. We mean everything in between. You see, the the ancient Hebrews did not have a word in their vocabulary for universe. And so 
the words they did have were put together to make this rhetorical device. God created the heavens and the earth. In other words, everything out there, everything down here, and everything in between, God has created it. If it is, God has made it. And God did so out of nothing. We see and we hear in this opening verse, God penetrating the nothingness with the sole intent of creating a world in which his incomparable power and glory and sovereignty would be displayed. He did this, that his resplendent manifold perfections would be on display and exalted. And indeed, however long ago that was, to this very day, we're told in Psalm 19 that the heavens still declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Brothers and sisters, we love remembering that Psalm 139 tells us that we were fearfully and wonderfully made and that is beautiful and that is true. But I want you to know that our master creator God has created a world that is so beautifully complex, it too was beautifully and fearfully made. Just, we, we sang a song about snowflakes, and did, did you consider the fact that they say that no two snowflakes look alike? You know how many trillions and trillions, and I mean, I don't even know the number to adequately describe how many snowflakes fall in the world in a year. And no two are alike, and, and he's such a master craftsman that he, that he creates a detail that, that, that no one's going to notice but him. It's gorgeous. It's awesome. This opening verse repudiates the notion that God created out of necessity. There was nothing outside him compelling creation. It repudiates the notion that there was any sort of strife. No. It's not like the sun or the, it's not like the devil forced God's hand or, there was nothing like that. God in his sheer goodness. It, it repudiates the notion of the eternality of matter. One of the ancient myths, one of the, one of the standard uh, uh, common baselines of ancient mythology was that the earth started with pre-existing matter. Whether the world was made out of the corpse of the dead God's parents, I mean, just crazy stuff. But it started with matter that was already there. In fact, you have some modern atheistic scholars trying to argue when, when faced with the, with the reality that, that nothing, that there's, you can't have an infinite regression of causes, that nothing doesn't produce something, you, you have some that say, oh, then it always was. They're just echoing the old myths. Or you have others say, in, in, incredibly, the conditions of the universe were right, leading to the inevitable. Huh? The conditions of what universe? No. There was a time when this world was not 
and our Lord has made everything. So he is Lord here, there, and everywhere. And our Lord made things in a way that is utterly unique. This opening verse says, God created the heavens and the earth. And the biblical writers understood that God, when he creates, when he does something, it's unique. It's different than the way we do things. And so the word translated create here is is bara. And it is only used in scripture when God is its subject. It's a creative action that God alone engages in. Human beings form, fashion, mold, erect, build, construct. We make, but we never create. Human beings never bara. Why? Because whenever we make, build, form, fashion, whatever, anything, we're, we're, we're simply putting Legos together. We're playing with pre-existing stuff and rearranging and, and doing what God made us to do. We're constructing out of existing stuff. But only God can create out of nothing. Only God can fashion where there was nothing before. Only God barahs. Which is why the author of Hebrews tells us he created all things out of nothing. So there was never a time where God simply messed with and played with existing Plato. He, from eternity past, willed to create of nothing. Now what is interesting here is that the initial act of creation is not recorded. If you look, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. So this has caused, in the early 20th century, with the Schofield Reference Bible, some to think that that there was an original creation and that the Lord judged it and, and that all this death occurred. No, death came into the world, it's sin. Moses in Exodus 20 tells us that God made everything in the span of six days. So what this means here is that though the initial act of creation is not recorded, it just states that it's there now, we need to understand that that initial act of creation was part of day one. That when God, in the initial moment he made the earth, it was essentially a pitch black, watery globe. There was no land. There was no light. There was no there was no atmosphere, probably. It was a watery, dark nothingness. And that nothingness is conveyed by the use of a Hebrew expression when it said it was, in the ESV, it says in verse, in verse 2 that it was without form and void. That is, a, that is a Hebrew expression, tohu vabohu. You see the rhyme. 
That does not mean poetry, because Hebrew poetry isn't rhyming, but it is a, a rhyme that is an expression which means without any sense of orderliness, there's no none of the structures that define an orderly inhabited place, nor is there any life occupancy going on there. So be, to be tohu vabohu is to be a wasteland. There's no countenancing that there was life going on in this stage. When God created the world in an instant, there was a watery nothingness. But then God decides to form. And this forming has a purpose. Before you bring a baby home, you got to prepare the room for the baby. Before you plant a garden, if you're wise, you're going to plan it out. Before you build a, big, a building, you make sure you have everything you need. You get the structures in place to enable you to do stuff. And so this is the basic pattern we see here in creation. How God carefully, meticulously, orderly, first forms the cosmos and then fills the cosmos. And all of this is going to reach a crescendo with the creation of man. Because chapter 1 of Genesis has creation with man at its pinnacle. We are the cherry on the top of God's creation. So the myth of our culture that you have no inherent worth, that you only have value or rights if the state says you do, no, your, your worth is inherent. It's who God made you. It's what God made you. But before God creates man, he creates a world to be inhabited and to be further fashioned and manipulated by man. There, there is a certain geocentric nature to this universe, okay? By that, I do not mean what the old scholastics thought, the, that, that the world is in the center of the solar system and that everything else is, that's not what we mean. What we do mean about geocentric is it's clear that everything else that has been made was made to support this. There's an anthropocentrism within this geocentric world that we are the pinnacle. So, so God created, as we're going to see in verse 4, even the planets that are out there, the stars that are out there, were created to benefit people. Everything that has been made was made for the benefit of humanity. So the story of Scripture goes that there's planets and stars and comets and everything else out there, but its fate is all ultimately tied to what God does here on this planet. And when God sees fit to renew all creation, everything that's out there will also be part of the process. It's not like God is just going to remake earth while things continue the same next planet over. No, the entire cosmos will be remade. You see, God 
has made a world where his glory is displayed. And he's revealed the orderliness, the, the carefulness, and the intentionality that he had put into it that you, brothers and sisters, might find your place in it. You are not an accident. God carefully planned you out. You may have been unexpected to your parents, but you weren't unexpected to God. And he has made you in such a way that you fill a unique spot on this world. It's beautiful. So on the very first day, God has made out of nothing this watery globe. And then the truly mind-boggling thing happens. What does he do? He says, let there be light. And there is light. But we're not told of any intermediary source that is the cause of that illumination. Just let there be light. And that, brothers and sisters, has spun the minds and heads of people. How on earth can there be light without a source of that light? And you see, I think that's exactly the point. Not, not, not just me, but I think the, the wisdom of the ages sort of sees the point of that. That human beings, human cultures are conditioned to associating divine power with things that we believe are the source of something. In the case of the sun, Entire civilizations around the world have worshipped the sun. But what is God telling us here? The sun isn't the source of light. It's not as if the sun were to go out that there could not be light. The sun is simply like a torch that he lit with the light. So what is this light? If If it's not the sun... Because the sun isn't made until day four, it's, it's almost certainly his own glory. That he visibly pierces this dimension, this created order with. We're, we're told consistently throughout scripture that God is robed in light. Light does two things simultaneously regarding God's person. It reveals that he's there but it conceals him from plain sight because the light. Psalm 104, verse 2, praises the Lord because it says he wraps himself in light as with a garment. So awesome is the radiant glory of God that is in Hebrew referred to as Shekinah glory, the, the manifest radiance, that it's It's contagious. So that Moses himself, when he would come down from being in the presence of God, would terrify the people. Because why? What what was wrong with his face? It glowed. That's not ordinary providence, brothers and sisters. Human faces don't just glow. I mean, that's, or or maybe if you're radioactive, but, but that's not ordinary providence. 
And that's good and it's beautiful and it's wondrous. It tells us that God, while he has set in motion a world governed normally by principles that are stable and established, he is still sovereign and free. But not only did Moses' face shine, what are we told of the transfiguration? Who who shone like the sun? Jesus and his clothes were white. It says whiter than any bleaching agent could make them. Whoa. Day one tells us that there was light in the cosmos that did not come from any celestial body, any open flame, anything like that. And and we tempted to think, oh, that's weird. Well, guess what? That's our future. Revelation 21 and 22 both go out of their way to explicitly parse it out. There will be no sun. So you're going to have plenty of time, brothers and sisters, to marvel at the mystery of how light can emit from a being without any combusted source. It's amazing. But what we see here as God is originally engaging in the earliest creative processes is that he himself is doing the upholding. So when you get to day four, he's basically, imagine, I'm painting a picture here, and that's all I'm doing. He passes the torch to the sun and ignites the sun, so to speak, so that way from that moment forth, the sun is the source of light in the sky. But we're not dependent on the sun. We're dependent on the Lord. Day two then, God, it says, if you look here in your Bible, uh, in verse verse 7, and God made the expanse, and next to the word made, you see a little footnote, and you'll look down below, and it'll say fashioned. And this, this depicts God as a master craftsman because he is depicted with a word that normally is used of metalworking. So he's depicted as this master metal worker beating out the shape he wants. And that's what he's doing to create the sky, the expanse that we call the sky that the ancient world understood as the heavens. It's everything that's out there. And when it says he separated the waters below from the waters above, I don't know if that means that there was a water shroud above or or is it referring to the clouds in the sky or is it just referring to the fact that if you look up, it looks blue like there's water. I don't know. There is water in the sky. It's called clouds. So it's not as if it's wrong. But he's separated. And right there with that created expanse, There you see the creation of an atmosphere that's livable. With the complex mixture of of oxygen and nitrogen and carbon dioxide and the whole shebang that, that organisms need to survive on this planet, you see it all created there in day two. And then in day three, he separates the water. Note he doesn't create water on day three. Water has been created in the initial instant. But in day three, he fashions and forms what we call oceans and islands. He brings the earth up out of the depths. Does this mean that's the birth of mountain ranges? I don't know. 
But it's there that we see the ground forming and we see the vegetation sprouting forth. He is creating the context in which it can be filled with animate life. Then in day four, he creates the celestial bodies for signs and seasons, days and years. And so much wonder has gone into the speed of light and how long it takes. Well, I'm no astrophysicist. There are astrophysicists out there. They can talk to you about that. But, but here's what makes perfect sense to me. In order for something to serve as a sign, it has to not only have been created, it has to have been arrayed and positioned in such a place that it can serve as a sign. So when you hear that he made the stars, you have to understand that if this, what this implies is the creation of galaxies. The arrangement of galaxies within the solar within the universe so that from the vantage point of the earth going forward as it's tilted on its axis just perfectly for four seasons for the circulation of weather for the orbit around the sun all this is implied by day four all of it it's wondrous the beginnings of comets the beginnings solar flares, everything. It's wondrous. So brothers and sisters, the origin of your story is that there was a time when there was nothing. There was nothing but a good and glorious God who willed to create. And from his genius, everything that is has come forth. And it was to make a point at the end that we're going to get to. But understand that the myth of the culture, that there's no inherent meaning. And it's only your internal subjective truth. No, that is wrong. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. The world around you has been carefully crafted. And it's for a purpose, which we will see. Let's pray.